Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Focus Hunting Podcast, which is brought to you by the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. For more on the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, make sure you head over to www.waypointtv.com. Okay, this is an episode that I... It's actually one of the very first episodes I recorded. Um, I had a, a good pal of mine, Robin Unra. He's the founder of Hunters for BC, now BC's interior chapter of SCI. So, uh, Robin's just a beauty. Um... Like I said, this is one of the very first episodes I did, so it's uh, it's a little rough. Um, not that uh, the episodes now are good, but uh, this one is, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of my first episodes, so go easy on me. Anyway, um, there was some, some mess-ups with the early recordings and converting them to uh, get them available online, but I kind of figured that all out now, so and I just wanted to get this one out to you guys, just because, uh, like I said, Robin, he's, uh, he's a He's a great dude, and uh, he's done so much for um, the hunters in British Columbia. So, anyway. My dad had an encounter over that where him and my uncle were hunting. He came up to a road, and some guys had it blocked off. They had their camp set up right in the middle of the road just so they could hunt past it. Mm-hmm. I had a very good longtime friend with me, and, and uh, we were on a couple pretty hot bulls. They had a lot of hunting pressure, a lot of a lot of people were on them and i said i we know where they're at nobody's gonna get them so let's give them a day or two to cool off yeah just getting tired of singing yeah they knew they knew all the points they and they were scared so we went to another spot that i hunted growing up and uh i said well you just hop on the back of my quad here and we're gonna go check out a couple of these places that i used to know and so we we're he was on the back and uh we we're going up our road and, and then out from the trees this guy comes running. So I stopped the quad and said, how's it going? He says, what are you guys doing? I said, well, we're having a look. I said, I grew up here and was showing my friend around. And obviously, we're here looking for elk. And yeah. And he says, well, you can't hunt here. I said, oh, that's strange. And he said, uh, you can't hunt here. This is our camp. And I look back just where he had the 
roadblocked. Yeah. So had a big camper and tarps and fire all set up on the road. And I said, I said, uh, you know, I'm going to, one way or another, I'm going to go up this mountain and have a look around. Yeah. I said, I get back here rarely. And I grew up here. I bled here. Yeah, it's I sweated land. here. I said, I got, I got history with this mountain and I am going to check it out. And, uh, then another gentleman come running out of the trees and, uh, he put the holy thread on us. And I said, look, and I knew the guy and I said, look, I'm going up here. I said, you cannot camp on a road and you cannot block your area. What you can want to consider your area from yeah. other hunters. Yeah. I said, had we encountered you a little further back and you would explain the situation in a gentlemanly manner, I probably would have happily turned around and let you to the area. I said, the way you guys go about this, blocking the road and then coming around out and threatening me, I said, now I'm really going up here. Yeah. Yeah, that's bullshit. So it it was really close to physical. I didn't like it. We turned around. There was elk there. We turned around and left um, just because I didn't want further problems or flat tires or yeah. any other issues. Yeah. Where, where did you grow up? Caslo, BC. Oh, yeah. Right. I think I asked you that before. Yeah, grew up there, had a great, great upbringing. Um, my father was an avid hunter, fisher and trapper. So he, uh, he took my family and especially my brother and I and showed us the ropes and we're pretty grateful for that. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned you guided. Yeah. Where did you guide? Um, I was really lucky uh, when I was young. I grew up in a logging town and, uh, and out of high school, your, your choices were slim. So you either were a logger or you worked in a sawmill. My brother and I uh, naturally gravitated towards logging. My grandmother had uh, lost two sons to uh, logging truck accidents, and um, it bothered her, bothered her greatly to see her grandsons getting into logging uh, back in the 70s and 80s was extremely dangerous. Accident rates and mortality rates were quite high in the industry. I wanted to be a conservation officer out of high school and my abilities as a student were slim to none. So yeah, uh, I know what that's know, all about. That was a gigantic fail and you know I'm happy that it wasn't. At the time I was a little bit disappointed but um, I'm pretty happy. So yeah, uh, my best friend had pointed out to me about a, a guiding in Packer School in Alberta where um, if you went and attended this school and the top two students got guaranteed job placements in the, up north in Dalshi country. And I, I didn't have the money to go. I knew he did, and I wanted to go with him so badly. It sounded like just a just a tremendous opportunity. And my grandmother, um, bless her heart, she uh, she wanted me out of logging, and in a very bad way. And she said, uh, "You take this money." You go do your guide school and you go see the world and oh, live your life. That's awesome. Um, I'll never forget that. Uh, what a gift. So, yeah, uh, your couple of us Kootenai boys showed up in Alberta and uh, neither of us were cowboys. I didn't like horses and I probably probably say even after using them all use years, I'm not that fond of them still. But uh, we went over there and did the course and we raised a little hell and had a lot of fun. And I'll be darned at the end if... Him and I didn't get the two top marks in the school, so uh, Carl there, he ended up going to the Yukon, and I ended up going to the Northwest Territories for uh, Stan Simpson and Ramhead Outfitters, and it was, uh, you know, absolutely the best years of my life um, when you're young and just full of energy and be cut loose in the Northwest Territories, backpacking for doll sheep and caribou and running jet boats on rivers yeah. and cutting firewood and being just a wild and crazy. Yeah. I tell you, it... Um, I went from a boy to a man in a hurry up there. Anybody that I ever ran into all those years, uh, I made some fantastic friendships and I still keep in touch with them to this day. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that we've often talked about is, you know, you could, you could live beside somebody for 10 years or you could work with somebody for 10 years. You do one weekend of hunting with them and you're friends <laughs> for life. Yes. that's. So what did you guide for? 
Um, I was put into a, a doll sheep camp. Oh wow! Um, by by riverboat, and it was um, a backpack camp, and that's really where my uh, where my skill set was at its best. I was young, and I I remember at the end of my first year there, I think did uh, six or seven straight doll sheep hunts, and uh, my legs grew so big around that I was splitting the seam in the legs of my blue jeans. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I came back probably, uh, you know, 20 pounds heavier with muscle and, and, uh, just, just an incredible time up there. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great. It's, it's nice to do those things when you're young. We, uh, we grew up on the coast of BC, so we spent a lot of time on the ocean and man, the experiences we had, you know, on the ocean and the rivers fishing and the fish we caught and the, the ocean life we've seen. Yeah. You just can't replace it. I know all well, you have, you have children as well, so you're yep. getting out and enjoying them and. I'm watching my young nephew, five years old, and um, I can see something in his eyes that's telling yeah. me that Uncle Robin will be having some fun with him in the field in the not too far future. And uh, we're already discussing, uh, you know, pellet guns and 22s. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, I think back to when I was that age and uh, I wanted to go out hunting with my dad so bad, you know, he would make the decision on who's old enough. And I, uh, I was so desperate to go hunting. I went and drew a picture of a rifle on a piece of plywood. <laughs> I asked my dad to cut it out for me so that if I was allowed to go with the, with him and his friends that um, I would be able to yep. carry this uh, silhouette of a rifle. So I knew I knew at a very young age what I wanted to do. So Yeah, yeah that sounds like my youngest hunter. He's uh, you know, he's right into it. He's got you know, even in the backyard here, he's got his little four by four and he throws, he's got his binoculars, he's got his backpack <laughs> and he's got his little wood rifle there. He goes out and he spends the afternoon uh, hunting my my 3D targets, so. But I'd like to welcome everyone. Today I'm pretty excited. We have a special guest here today. Today I'm joined by Robin Unra. Robin, can you explain the motivation behind Hunters for BC? How did that all get started? Hunters for BC got started much the same way that you would, uh, Motley Crew got started. I would say we were a little garage band. I think uh, myself and a bunch of like-minded friends, we just really started discussing uh, a lot of the problems that our BC is encountering and uh, what were our outlets to doing something about it. How could we do something about it? And we all belong to uh, local clubs and uh, we simply decided that we didn't have enough say, enough voice for hunters in the province of BC and uh, no media tool or no vehicle to get our word out. So uh, I called up my wonderful sister. Anybody who knows Amberly would obviously say the same thing. And I said, Amberly, here's what my stupid plan is. And I said, would you be interested in helping out for conservation? And uh, you know, bless her heart, she said yes. And uh, she is a very, very important part of what we're doing. Um, as far as I'm concerned, she's the glue that holds us together. She's a wizard on the computer and with media and um, anybody who knows her as well. She's also just incredibly easy to talk to and she has a way about her that makes everybody comfortable. So I thank her so much for helping us. And so that's that was Hunters for BC and uh, it sat it sat for a while. We, we knew we had an idea and uh, getting people on board. And uh, when I say people, I mean people that we're willing to devote part of their life to it because that's what conservation is. If you're, in, if you're a volunteer, you are literally taking part of your life and you're putting it into something that you believe in. You know, my hat's off to all volunteers, not only in BC, but worldwide. If you volunteer for conservation, you're a special person because uh, it takes a lot from you and it gives very little back. I would have to say that knowing that um, the rewards for what we're doing don't show immediately. They're long-term goals. So yeah. if you... Um, if you're Wild Sheep Society and you're very successful and you 
you've managed to, you know, do a prescribed burn, you're not going to, you're going to see instant results in your prescribed burn. You're going to see new growth, but the results in your wildlife will take years. And if you're willing to put those kind of that effort in and you're willing to put, wait for years to see your results, you know, it's extremely rewarding. So anybody who's a volunteer for wildlife and fish, um, I got your back. It's very difficult. It's taxing on your families and loved ones and your spare time. So you yeah. know, way to go. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. The work that you guys do, uh, not just in your organization, but in all those organizations out there. I mean, man, we wouldn't be where we are today without those great organizations. So um, on behalf of myself and all the other hunters out there, whether they know it or not, they should start if they don't know it already they should start getting involved and start you know paying attention to the work that you guys are doing because that that's the thing is it is your guys's volunteer time i mean you guys have jobs this isn't your day-to-day job where you're getting paid to do this is you're having to go to work come home spend your spare time you know addressing these important issues that a lot of people take for granted they just assume well you know it's there it's it's ours and they don't really understand the depth and and the work behind the whole process of it it's a big commitment i know um a lot of people probably laugh when I say this, but I'll uh, I'll go in the basement or I'll go outside and hide behind the shed, and uh, I'm doing conservation and I'm hiding it from my wife. Yeah, you know, wow. she'll, sometimes she'll say, you know, isn't enough enough? And I said, you know, I'm not done this, or I have to get this done. I need to contact this person. You know, bless my wife's heart too for putting up with it. It's you know, I'm also taking away my time from her. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So. I- Absolutely. Well, I, and that's the thing. I mean, I have a, I've got a construction business and then, you know, just with this stuff and focus and I try to do as much as I can, but I have three kids, you know, that are eight and younger. And then I have a wife and you find you don't have a lot of personal time. I can imagine you yourself wear a lot of hats. So I do have full two full-time jobs and uh, I'm a family man as well. So yeah, um, I find that uh, managing your spare time, I've gotten a lot better at it. I, with conservation, and um, hunters for bc i'll take time that i used to put into something else whether it was maybe it could have been uh watching my favorite program or yeah um sometimes i can even multitask and play with my dogs and still take the time to you know talk with the directors and the committees and so you yeah do you juggle a little bit more yeah well that and that's just it and that's one thing as yourself that is doing so much that's a, a great tool is the use of multitasking as you as you do it more, you get better with it. And then, yeah, I mean, you learn to do two things at once. Without that, hard to get a lot of these things done in one day. And the and the day is already short to begin with. I mean, for myself, my day starts at five o'clock. And by the time I'm done, uh, just my work stuff, you know, it's it's five, four or five o'clock at night. And then, you know, I like to shoot my bow every day. I train every day. And then I got to, you know, I have to help out around the house. I got my day-to-day house chores. And my kids need time, you know what I mean? My son wants to play tennis or my daughter wants to play tennis or my son wants to shoot his bow or he wants to go golfing. So you really have to learn how to manage your time effectively. If you can do it, it's uh, it's trouble for you. Yeah. I have to, if you have time to train, I'm so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I find myself letting myself go. Um, coffee breaks at work or stuff a sandwich in my mouth have a cup of coffee and um i'm also working on this in my coffee times at work so yeah yeah and that's one thing with training is for me i try to at least once a day so i mean if that involves me throwing my runners and a pair of shorts in the back of my truck and then if i have a meeting up in a certain area of, of Kelowna, then I'll uh, go to my meeting and then I'll go directly. And if there's a trail there, I'll go jog five kilometers on the trail, put my gear back on and uh, go about my day. Yeah, you I mean, I have to do what I can. With Hunters for BC, when did that start? That started in uh, 2018, 2019. And uh, 
as I mentioned before, um, we had this, we had the idea, we knew what we wanted to do. And then there's the, how do we do it? And how do we get people to help do it? And, um, I came across uh, Shane Brady and Ted Walking, you know, started talking with them. And uh, once you start talking with other hunters, you realize how much we all have in common, how angry we are, the state of the province and the fish and wildlife, and the habitat that we have. And, uh, you know, a few meetings and a few more people came along and introduced ourselves. And before long, you know, we started thinking, you know, we can do this. Here's, here's the, we laid out just a basic plan. Didn't want to be a generic model of a club. We wanted to, you know, really say we want to be a voice for hunters. Do hunters have a voice in BC? Um, yes, but it's very weak. So how do we become a voice for hunters and attracting hunters in British Columbia to really sit down, put all your concerns in one basket and say, Hey, these are our concerns. How can we do something about it? And who are we going to get to do something? Who's going to do it for us? Right. I think that's the hurdle that uh, not only we face, but every club, individual, and organization in BC have the same hurdle. Right. We're not being heard. Yeah. And I think the thing is, too, you know, a lot of hunters out there, they, they have concerns or they have questions, and they just don't know, they don't know how to go about getting their questions answered or getting their concerns heard. If you're a hunter out there and you're trying to address your concern to the, your MLA and MP or uh, the Premier BC, um, it is frustrating. I've got countless unanswered emails Yeah. from all of them. Do they want to sweep BC's problems, fish and wildlife, habitat under the rug? Yes, they don't. They don't want to hear how they failed. Right. They don't want to be accountable for it. They're pretty happy with, with the money they've made in spite of the fact that uh, our fish, wildlife, and habitat are suffering because of it. So if you are trying to lobby by yourself or as a small group to government, keep at it. Um, yeah, you'll get through eventually, I guess. Eh? The squeaky wheel will eventually see some yeah. grease. Yeah, because I know like I've emailed our local MLA and all you get is just the generic you know, automated response and you never hear anything more than that. And I've done it a few times, but then eventually you just, you're like, Oh, well, I don't even think those are probably just going to their junk mail or they get millions of emails a day. What do they care? But you're right. Yeah. The squeaky wheel does get the lube. In, in true political fashion, some of the replies that you get answering a question with a question as well. Right. Even with the BC liberals that are campaigning, trying to get funding and support for in the next election, I've mentioned to them, how can you not make British Columbia's resources, fish and wildlife and habitat part of your election campaign? Like, yeah. We're screaming for it. The mm -hmm. public needs to know what's going on. And yeah. um, I think they'll just take the safe route and go for votes. Um, I'm sad to say that. I'd like to see somebody just grab onto it and run. Yeah. We're not united as a group of hunters. We're not united. I would love to see all the lobbying committees from every organization and club work together that way they can work together on common goals and each club and organization can continue on doing their community projects local projects regional yeah management units but if we could unite all the hunters in bc in one group one big organization they could still stay loyal to every organization and club that they want to right without having to worry about well i'm not a member of this i'm not a member of that Right. There's none of that worry where who's going to be a member of what or right. what should I belong to. Mm -hmm. If you belong to something, then you're part of something bigger. Yeah, it's just and, one um, big umbrella. I see the uh, CCFR has done the same thing. And um, it's a voice for all firearms owners in Canada. Yeah. Is it powerful? Yes. Are they making progress? Yes. Is it an effective tool against government? Yes. Yeah. 
those questions if you guys do need them answered that's how you get immediate response you have to go out i mean join these groups like hunters for bc or sci so what's the new name is it hunters for bc or like what do you prefer hunters for bc is our tag right um we thought it was very important to keep that because we are um you know we're just a bunch of normal blue collar british columbians yeah so um it's very important and um even when we were in discussions with sci canada is, uh, we really wanted to keep our Hunters for BC tag. It's extremely important. We're loyal. I I bleed British Columbia. I love this province yeah. and I'll fight for yeah. it. With SCI coming to the table, how could we make Hunters for BC and SCI Canada and Safari Club International, how can we blend them all together and still do the best we can for the province? And, um, you know, we sat down and had a lot of meetings, a lot of discussion. How can we benefit SCI? How can SCI benefit us? And I think one thing for sure kept coming up is, does our problems in BC need national and international attention? And I came up with yes every time. What we're doing in BC and what's being done about the problems isn't enough. It's not quick enough. Right. They're not taking it seriously enough. I don't see a problem with uh, showing the rest of Canada and the world what's happening here. Yeah, in BC. It will, will bring attention. It will educate. And hopefully with that, we'll come some pressure on the government to make proactive and positive changes for not right now we're in trouble but for the future yeah so i guess that's the advantage of the amalgamation is just a bigger reach more resources i've used some of sei's resources i've um, reached out to some of the biologists right and i know um, a lot of people will ask this question and yes a certain amount of our one fundraiser a year a certain percentage goes back to sei mm-hmm. yeah we also have access to sci funding with uh grant matching funding so um what can sei do for us support is huge right they've got lobbying abilities legal abilities extraordinary number of hunters behind them and funding so sei has some teeth i don't think you could ask anybody out there that would say sei is a lay down organization they do have teeth they do represent hunters they are fighting globally for hunters and I'd like some of that fight to come here for us. Yeah, absolutely. What did that process involve for the amalgamation of Hunters for BC into SCI? Well, as Hunters for BC was just getting started, um, we hadn't legally filed for our nonprofit status yet. So um, with an agreement with SCI um, to keep our tag, Hunters for BC, um, there really wasn't a lot of changes that we had to make. We outlined our goals in BC, what our concerns were, and they lined up perfectly with SCI. So we didn't have to change a lot. Um, We wanted to do some humanitarian work. Community work is very important. Uh, BC is a huge community, so it will take time. Yeah. Um, Humanitarian is very important. And um, of course, conservation habitat. And, you know, we're constantly working on new ideas and projects. And we have some great initiatives coming up this fall and 2021. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Now, for myself, I'm pretty much a member of every hunting and or conservation organization in North America, but I know there's a lot of guys out there that say, well, I'm a member of so-and-so, and that's good enough. I don't need to be a member of every organization out there. What would be your response to that? Well, I think, um, speaking for myself anyways, I manage my conservation dollars. I try and spread it around. I am a member of Wild Sheep Society of BC. I do try and support their fundraisers as much as I can, and obviously I'll support any of the initiatives that we have going as well. Um, Being a part of two organizations, I'm very comfortable with that. And um, I'm probably looking forward to uh, rejoining a local club as well. The local clubs cannot be denied. 
um, the work they do locally. Um, they raise a lot of awareness that um, some of the bigger organizations might uh, might overlook. So if you can support a local club and an organization of your choice, um, yeah. my hats off to you. Um, let's spread our conservation dollars around. Let's uh, let's not go. Let's not let important things go unnoticed. Yeah. Whether it's um, if it's a guide outfitter association fighting for accountability on NDP taking away the grizzly bear hunt in BC, or it could be the Wild Sheep Society. They're having problems with disease and, and bighorn sheep in the southern part of the province. They're looking at purchasing habitat. Let's support these guys. Um, do you have to be a massive donor? It would be nice. Um, most of us, obviously, we're on a budget. So yeah. if you can put $20 here, $10 there, you know what? If there's enough of us, it adds up. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, you don't have to be lifetime members. The annual membership, it, it's not it's not too bad. I mean, what is it for SCI? What's the $50 a year, $50. Yeah. $50 a year Canadian. So, I mean, that's great. How do you find keeping members? Like how, like to keep those members signing up year to year to year? How is that? I guess we'll have to really look at that as we're just, um, just launched just me and June. So next year we'll be looking at that and, uh, keeping a close watch. And I think obviously, um, for renewals, people are going to want to see bang for their buck. Right. Uh, some great projects we've got, uh, and also for 2021, we have a massive ungulate count, um, primarily mule deer in Region 8. Now, this is probably going to be the biggest counting project for deer and ungulates in this region historically. So, oh, that's um, great. we are going to be looking for an army of volunteers yeah. and we're going to put our best foot forward and we're going to get the biologists the information that they need to do their jobs. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And yes, we will need help and we will be asking for help. And yeah. Well, keep me in the loop on that. Uh, and results will speak for themselves. Yeah. You know, we're going to get out there. We're going to put glasses on the mountain and, yeah. and boots. So yeah. Are, is it going to be one specific region or is it going to be just all over region eight? You know what I mean? Like, is it going to be certain areas of, 812, some of, you know, 81, or is it just going to be one? What's the outline of that? Just has asked us to look at Karameas, Princeton, Rosudius, Penticton, Summerland, Kelowna, Cherryville, Salmon Arm. He would like really accurate multiple counts in eight different good mule deer winter ranges in Region 8. Right, gotcha. Yeah, I'm fairly familiar with 814 just because that's where I spend most of my time hunting. And I know where probably 95% of the mule deer are in that region, and they're in Farmer's Field. Yes, they are. <laughs> I think um, anybody who used to drive through Cherryville years ago, it was uh, it was death race. You know, you were dodging deer yeah. all the way to, to Fauquier Farrier. Yeah. And... Uh, I know um, I've talked with some people when I first moved to Peachland. Um, the Peachland Club used to do an annual count, uh, what they call uh, um, antler saddle. Right. And that's that beautiful stretch of uh, winter range between Peachland and Summerland. Yeah. And uh, I was part of the count in the last winter that it took place. And it's going back into the mid-90s. And uh, there was a, we counted 175 in just a short stretch of that winter range. I think uh, last winter I drive that road every day. And um I would be very lucky to come up with 25. Oh, really? Now, um, going back to the 70s, there was people who used to keep track of the highway kills on that stretch of highway. And annually, up to 300 mule deer were killed on that stretch of highway. Oh, wow. Annually. Yeah. Do you think the decline in numbers have something to do with the, the well, accidents no, on the road? they put the high fence up. I haven't seen a, a great big recovery because of highway mortality. So, um, 
I would have to say that the issues are way deeper than highway mortality. Right. Yes, the, the fence has saved countless years' lives, and I will never deny that. There's more to the problem than highway mortality. Yeah. And yes, highway mortality and railway mortality is, is really big in some areas, and it's something that we're definitely trying to address as well. Yeah, well, I know on Highway 33, I, I constantly see deer run over along the side of the road. So when you're doing these counts, are they taking in consideration like those deer that are in those farmers' fields and stuff like that? Or they is will. That, they will. Eh? Yeah. They okay. Will. Yeah. And head count, regardless of where they are, as long as it falls into the criteria of the of the area that they want surveyed. Yeah. Every deer will be counted, and it will be done three times in a span of three weeks okay. for each spot. So that's how they're going to get an accurate number, and they'll average out those three right. counts per spot. So um, when you multiply eight spots. Mm-hmm. Being counted three times in three weeks, that's a lot of volunteers and dedicated yeah. volunteers. We can't miss a weekend. No. Well, like I said, keep me in the loop on that because uh, I'm definitely in. Thank you. What would you say, as you see it, is the number one goal that we as hunters should be aiming for? Is it unity between hunters or these hunter organizations or just, you know, better ethical hunting? Or what, what do you think? I mean, hunter ethics, uh, how, how are hunters viewed? not only in BC, but worldwide, we can always improve that. I would have to say that the number one the more number one initiative that hunters should be concerned about right now is unifying in one voice. We are losing ground. There is strength in numbers. We have to look past all our differences, focus, and then when, with, with our numbers, with one voice, we can work on very, very difficult topics on habitat. The loss of habitat that we've suffered in BC is astronomical. What's that? What's the number one cause of loss of habitat? Obviously, it's roads and forestry. Yeah, logging, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 You know, if we're probably, if you're counting seismic lines, all roads, spur roads, access roads, we're probably approaching a million kilometers. Wow. And if not, if we're not there, we're fast, we're quickly approaching it. Um, we have not done enough deactivation. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of access roads. There's a lot, like you can get to a lot of areas around BC now. You know, you could just drive down any road. I mean, you could be gone for a day and just never ending fingers are going everywhere of access to all these different areas. And for no reason, there's, there's no reason. I mean, it was logged out. You've got new growth in there and it's just, there's hunters out there that you start taking away that access. They're going to start having a fit. Yeah. I yeah, for those people that are fighting to keep the access that we have, I said, why are you fighting for something that we never had to begin with? Um, there was never any shame on putting on a pair of hiking boots yeah. and just walk all day. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. Let's not fight for access that we never had to begin with. Let's fight to reduce our access. Let's fight to turn these roads upside down, plant them, and return the forest back to the animals. If I'm looking back, now I started hunting in the late 70s, and... Uh, Boy, I can tell you, and for anybody new into hunting or who never got to see the 70s, the great 80s, and the early 90s, um, hunting in this province was beyond incredible. We've lost so much, and I'm sorry if you never got a chance to see it, and you probably probably think here's an old guy sitting at the mic preaching to you. Um, it, yeah, see, for myself, I never never got to witness that, but I know talking to my dad and, you know, uh, my uncles and stuff like that, and cousins and stuff, they, they hunted. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of roads like they have now, and that's one thing, hunting with my dad. And, you know, my dad, uh, he's pushing 70, and he's got two blown knees, so he doesn't get out of the truck very often. But and then again, he's not out really 
he's not out shooting a deer. He's out mostly just getting out, right? And we go out together. Uh, so it's three generations there just getting out. And to him, that's, that's what it's all about. But I know they talk about the, you know, the 70s and 80s, uh, the amount of moose, especially moose, because uh, we grew up in northern BC. So the amount of moose that was there. And I even even noticed the difference in the regs just with the season closures and season seasons being shortened and the guys complaining about that. Oh, well, why are we only giving two days to hunt moose in region six now? Well, um, unfortunately, because of these access, because of these roads, land access is just magnified. And now there is, you know, the animals are the ones who take the toll on it. That's that's 100% true. I'm looking back and um, two things that have significantly changed that coincide with our loss of our big game in BC access, roads, fractured habitat, forestry practices that I don't believe have um that have been done well at all, especially not with um, habitat and wildlife in mind. Number two, and um, this is also very important, is uh, predation. Younger days, would never see a wolf track. Um, getting into my later teens, into the tw- my early 20s. Yes, we would start to see the odd wolf track. Um, nothing significant. Um, no large packs. You know, hunting was still good. Yeah. That should have alarmed us all at the time, and it, it really didn't. Yeah. Um, well, I noticed the wolves, like even in the region we hunt, the amount of wolves that have shown up in the last few years is significant. I've seen, uh, I think, 13 wolves last year. They were on a ridge over me, and I tried to get close, but man, they're hard to get close to. They are. They're extremely smart. Yeah. Very difficult um, population of animals to manage. Um, well, and not only for uh, us to manage as hunters, but for the government to get involved with, with I mean, they face crazy backlash on that. Even hunters, I mean, a lot of people don't like hunting uh, predators just because the backlash they get from the public eyes on hunting that because... It is. Um, hunter image. I think the best thing we can do for hunter image is to uh, spend our time not um, debating or arguing with anti-hunters, but to educate the non-hunters. The non-hunters are the silent majority in BC. Us hunters, we're 2%. So yeah. If anti-hunters are 2 to 5%, yeah. you know, there's 95% of the people in BC that are voting, that have a say, they're paying taxes, that yeah. need to know what's going on in the province. If we want to effectively manage our ungulates, our big game, we have to effectively manage our predators. And that's grizzly bears, our mountain lions, our coyotes, and of course our wolves. I spent a great many years hunting cats in my younger days. And um, I can look back and honestly say we made an impact. We didn't kill every cat we came across. I believe that we took just enough out to keep the balance, which is very important. Yeah. Are all predators at zero or should they be at zero? No, but they do need to be managed right alongside our big game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Part of that too is I think the problem with predator hunting is the grip and grins you know, posting that on social media, that it gives the anti-hunters a target. You know, that that's fuel for their fire. They just take that and they just turn it around and they, they use it as fuel. And yeah, I think yeah. that needs to stop as well. You know, I know guys are proud of it and a lot of hunters say, oh, well, you know, it's my right to hunt these predators. It's my right to hunt wolves, my right to hunt these big cats. And I'm proud to do it and I'm going to post it. I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. But the problem is, is it, it just makes it an easy target for these groups. Unfortunately, it is a negative impact on hunters as a whole. We're definitely in trouble. We're getting it from all angles. Hunters will say, well, that's not fair. They can do that. Or it's not, well, it's not fair. Politics is not fair. Anybody who thinks that politics is fair, it's not. Having a government in place right now that will take away science and common sense for votes that's not fair either we have to realize that what we're up against is not fair 
how are we going to deal with it? Yeah. Um, we are fighting the fair fight and we're losing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just that simple. You, you touched on fractured habitat. Can you dive into that a little bit? Fractured habitat, um, especially travel corridors and winter range, you know, um, there has to be a certain amount of canopy. Uh, yeah. Animals need a blend of both. Um, the moose do very well in deeper snow where the, where the deer and the elk do less well in the deeper snow. So having a, a blend of um, open country canopy of trees, Douglas fir, and biodiversity. So what they're doing with their uh, with their logging and replanting programs is uh, they could go in and take out a Douglas fir stand. Maybe that area supported five mule deer. We'll use that for an example. So that's taken away. That canopy is taken away, and the um, deciduous that grow beneath it, and you know, not including the aspens that are taken out as a, a side effect of logging. So they're coming in, they're replanting with pine at uh, greater stems per hectare than it was taken out. Right. The argument is, is what they're replacing the forest with isn't necessarily what they took away. Yeah. So fractured habitat, um, wildlife corridors, their safety, um, predator highways, the roads, anybody who spends any amount of time in the field quickly learns to recognize wolf tracks that are using the roads yeah. They can travel a phenomenal distance on a haul road in one night and cover a lot of ground. And does that make them better predators? Of course it does. Yeah, it absolutely. Benefits them as much as it does the hunter you know, on a quad or in a, or in a vehicle. So. Yeah. We were witness to that last spring. We seen wolves, man, just, just barreling down old logging roads and just fast like just cruising down there and you know they're probably just coming around the corner just running these roads hoping there's going to be a deer or an elk just sitting there and then wham it's gone yeah, yeah they're on them well and that's the thing is you know the defense of these ungulates they can use the bush to their favor i mean you can't you've walked around the bush you know what it's like once you get into the bush and it's hard to get around in there you know i've seen elk run 800 meters up a side hill in heavy bush no problem mm -hmm. no problem but once they get on an open road and you get a pack of wolves out I and mean, where are they going to go they're they're doing where are they going to go yeah so that's a good that's a good point so you and i have talked about conservation before what it is and what it means uh can we dive into that a bit just uh you know hunters involvement in conservation and and just the whole you know conservation picture yeah, conservation is a is a very misused word i think we all should look at conservation the same way you can't twist conservation to fit your own agenda now i've heard arguments by hunters who would say oh yes i am all for conservation but i do not want it to affect my ability to have access to my hunting area or I don't want it to affect my opportunity. So I think I would have to say to that is conservation can't be twisted or turned to suit your personal agenda. Conservation should stand alone for all of us. If we have an area that has suffered big declines of white-tailed deer, mule deer, what have you. If it's in the best interest of conservation to slow down the harvest or even stop the harvest in that area, to allow those animals to recuperate, to recover, that's what conservation is. I don't want opportunity taken away at all. I've seen what we had for opportunity. If you want to really argue opportunity, I'd have to say, what is opportunity if you're hiking up a mountain with a rifle in your hand that has no big game. Is yeah. that opportunity or is that just taking a rifle for a walk? Just ask people to be very, very careful how they choose to use the word conservation and really take a hard look at what we might have to do in this province to get it back on track. If I'm looking deep within my soul, I might not like the answers either. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of guys that are members of organizations such as SCI, they just say, well, 
I donate my money and that's good enough. I'm not going to donate my time. So to me, that's just saying, well, you're doing that just to make yourself feel better. So calling yourself conservationist. Organizations like Pacific Wild and that, they call themselves conservationists too. And, you know, the money that they have, I don't see them putting any money into any recovery habitat or anything like that to do with actual issues or like chronic wasting disease. What are they doing to help chronic wasting disease? The only thing I see them doing is stopping hunters from hunting, stopping the use of dogs while training for cats, banning grizzly bears. That's what I see. That's exactly what they're doing. And, um, they can continue to do that. Their job is much simpler than ours. Yeah. All they have to do is say, we want conservation. We want animals to be left alone so we can you know, view them. Yeah. And as a hunter, we're saying, yes, we want conservation as well. We also want big game management. Yeah where we can have healthy numbers of each animal by using hunting as a tool where they do not overpopulate and uh, meet the carrying capacity of the habitat they're on. Yeah. So um, if I was to say, uh, you know, BC has lost approximately 50% of its moose population in the last 20 years, um, what does that mean to hunters? Yeah. I know what it means to me. Yeah. That's 90,000 moose or more that we had 20 years ago that we don't have now. Yeah. Do you ever see the recovery of, you know, uh, ungulates like moose and that coming back to what they were? Well, they, uh, back in the great 80s, and I know I didn't walk uphill to school both ways, but um, back in the great 80s, they did have some successful wolf programs in the north. I also have a friend, a very dear friend in Peachland that um, did a lot of wolf and predator control in Alberta. In his words, and I'll never forget his words, he goes, Rob, he said, those elk, moose, and caribou reappeared like magic. Yeah. And so he got to see, you know, years of doing what he was doing. He got to see the rewards for his efforts. He uh, he piled up the wolves like cordwood. I'm not going to lie. I'm very proud of him for doing it. And Rob, big game, reappeared like magic. Yeah. So um, when you have habitat and you have proper management, you have conservation. Right. And yeah. uh, conservation management through hunting is yeah. a very successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to the, that conversation we had earlier regarding um boots on the ground i mean you need boots on the ground it's not just your dollars you need volunteers we need help doing all this stuff because without you know boots on the ground hands in the field we can't do these programs like the mule deer count or the sheep count um stuff like that so it's up to everybody i mean and obviously everyone's limited on time but yeah, i mean if you can find time even one weekend you don't have to do it all the time, but if you could just do it, you know, one day or, or even an hour or, or just even just passing on the message and helping inform non-hunters uh, about these programs. And maybe they, maybe they're not into hunting, maybe they're into conservation. So, I mean, conservation is a, it's got a lot of definition behind it. it. Does. You don't have to be a hunter to be a conservationist. And, you and you, a lot of hunters have no intention of being conservationists where unfortunately they just don't give a shit. Um, they're out there shooting their guns and, 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 you know, I've seen lots of it and I wish it wasn't that way. So it's, it's up to us all to educate both sides, non-hunters about these programs and also hunters that they need to be involved in these programs or else we're, we're going to be screwed where one day I'm going to be sitting in your chair saying, man, I remember how good the hunting was in 2020. Uh, you know what I mean? So if it's going to look pretty grim, if I have to have that conversation. It is, it's a grim conversation. I don't like reminding people of what we had and what we've lost. I can't even predict we'll get it all back. I could never be so bold as to predict that. First, we have to stop the downhill trend. We have to stop sliding. Yeah. We have to dig our heels in the ground and stop the hemorrhage. So and what 
what do we need to do that when you say we need to stop the downhill trend to the people who don't know what what do you mean by downhill trend where are we going right now that we need to change if we were to change right now snap your fingers we're going to change what do we need to do in in a nutshell we have to stop the game mortality we cannot continue to lose numbers we have to stop it right so when you say stop it, it put in even emergency measures if we have to at least stop the downward spiral allow our professionals to assess the situation at state at a stable number right and then they can put forth the proper management tools to move ahead i can't say stop logging and i can't say stop road building because that's not going to stop yeah i can't tell the wolf to stop killing and i can't tell the mountain lions to stop killing yeah so there's so many pieces to the puzzle yeah what about reduced hunting opportunities if hunting opportunities were reduced and it was proven that it would help stop the downward spiral i believe as a hunter and if i believe in conservation i'd have to say yes to it yeah well absolutely and i you know if they said tomorrow that i have to stop hunting mule deer, and i love hunting mule deer. oh yes we all do um if they said i had to stop hunting mule deer that's it your tag's no good for the rest of the year i would rip it up throw it away no problem if i if that's what i have to do mm-hmm then that's what I have to do. Yeah, if um, if you had to choose your hill to die on, you have to die on the one that says conservation. If we have to do the right thing, and I'm not just saying um, you know, resident hunters. Um, I'm saying all hunters. If we if we have to um swallow the hard pill, yeah. Um, regardless of the number one cause of big game mortality in the province, um, we've gotten to the point that our boat has so many holes in it, we don't have enough fingers to plug them. So yeah um, let's start plugging holes and then look at what we have for patch material right when the holes are plugged with our fingers at least yeah kill a predator um if you've never hunted predators before i urge you get out there and try it yeah it's a great, great winter recreation it is it, it's a lot of fun i did it uh i've done it every year and it's tough it's not easy because the coyotes and the wolves i mean they're smart they are smart i mean i've hunted started hunting them two years ago and I the second time I went out coyote hunting I got a coyote and so I thought oh man this is great this is easy right (laughs) I man, I think I went out 12 times after that year and then the following year I went out must have been 20 times Um, this year bound to determine I'm gonna I'm gonna do my part and I I say that every year looking back at my years with houndsmen for all you hunters that are listening um, if you have a houndsman in your area or a trapper putting the hammer down on the wolves or coyotes Next time you see them filling up with gas or at the store buying food or whatever, you know, just uh, walk up to them, say, "Hey, thank you." Yeah, it's a it goes a long ways. It's very expensive predator control. Yes, um, and I would have to say for the trappers as well as uh, the houndsmen. Um, you know, the hounds are expensive. The food is expensive. There's training. There's gas. The cost per cat is very high. Would any of them trade a minute of it? No. Yeah. It's um it's also a passion. You know, you're taking one apex predator out of the off the mountain, you know, you're possibly allowing forty deer, fifty yeah. deer a year to live. Yeah. But those are big numbers. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember reading it, I think a cat takes what a deer a week, roughly? Yeah, roughly, yes. And you think, yeah, you think if cats aren't controlled, I mean managing these cats, destroying these cats, then yeah, I mean there's not there's just not enough there's not enough ungulates out there to sustain it for there very long. No, um, I'd have to say that would be uh, one of the bigger holes in our boat. Yeah, is it's... to uh, is to really dial in our predator numbers. Yeah, extremely difficult to do. Extremely difficult to get support from. 
um, by the public or the government, the government. Yeah. They don't want to touch that topic. Yeah. They don't want to touch that topic. 50 foot pole. They do not. Um, I think with us, uh, helping promote the advanced wolf trapping program too, was a very good move. Um, giving trappers the knowledge and the tools to take out more predators on their trap lines is a huge benefit to all of us. For everybody that took the classes this year, I wish you all the best of luck and with your new skills and, and mindset and, and uh, you know, let's let's put the herd on them a bit. We're not going to get them all. Yeah, my, that's what my uh, youngest brother, he's getting into that is, is trapping and stuff. So I know it's a, it's a lot of work and it's, it's pretty much, a, you know, it's a lifetime involvement doing that. Um, yeah, you don't um, you don't just grab no. the old uh, trusty rifle and go out and say, I'm going to go get me a wolf. It's, yeah. There's a lot more to it than that. And um, yeah. uh, if I even look at it, my lifetime, uh, Northwest Territories, Northern BC, uh, guiding, hunting everywhere, um, wolf opportunities are slim. Yeah. No, they're hard. They're really hard to get. They don't give you a second chance to, no. to say, oh, what if I had that chance back? Because um, it... Yeah, absolutely. And they, you know... the they can just smell and it's just amazing you can't even get close to them like they're just amazing amazing animals but i remember uh um in the northwest territories at one of the sheep hunting camps a friend of mine and i we knew there was wolves coming in there trying to lure the camp dogs out so they could kill them so we thought oh you smart old wolf we uh we uh, laid up on the food cache two nights straight with our rifles thought for sure you know there's no way there's some dumbass wolf is gonna yeah think that there's two hunters waiting for them with theirs <laughs> you know and you know those buggers they uh they managed to know what was going on and keep their distance out of rifle range and, and you know these are wolves that aren't hunted yeah you know they're that smart so you you put a you put an educated wolf out there and, and it's going to make most of us look like uh like we don't know what we're doing when it comes to coyote and wolf hunting i definitely don't know what i'm doing but i'm getting the hang of it and I think this year's my year, but so you guys have a new fundraiser coming out that we should probably talk about seeing as we're both involved. Can you, can you touch on that? Just exactly what it is, uh, the premise of it, how hunters get involved and the benefits or what the benefits are of that are going to be. Well, um, with, uh, with COVID-19 this year, obviously discussing creative ways, um, number one, to educate, create awareness, and also raise some funds for some good causes. And, and um, it's been challenging. Um, obviously, our outlets aren't available to us that um, we normally would have had, like trade shows and, and other avenues. So um, the topic came up, could we have a big buck contest? Or specifically, it was a big buck night. And, um, you know, due to regulations for COVID, that is not possible. So how did we have a successful and interesting big buck contest? And um, we, you know, we thought about it for a little while and we started talking about, you know, what if we uh, had a big buck contest and we kept a real conservation theme to it, um, something that hunters could actually, uh, you know, visually and uh, and mentally see as a good idea. So we came up with the idea of um, supporting the Report All Poachers program and um, specifically the... Uh, the robotic decoy program, which is extremely successful program, but it's also very expensive to operate for the conservation officers. And um, one of the uh, tactics that they do use, which is extremely expensive, or it's expensive um, due to overtime, but it's also, there's a lot of logistics to it as well. And that's um, setting up decoys at night with the night eyes. Now, um, the reason they like to do this is it really catches people in a bad way. And there's no way they can, if you're out shooting an animal at night, there's no loophole for you to get off. Yeah. You're caught, you're done. It's hit red hand. It's hand in the cookie jar. Effective and it's um 
It's also pointed out to me that it's expensive. The night eyes are expensive. The robotics are expensive. The batteries, the remotes, and the repairs, um, believe it or not, from bullet holes are very expensive. Yeah. We wanted to say, hey, thank you for this program. Um, we wanted to help put a stop to poaching. We're not going to stop at all, and everybody knows that. But uh, this program seemed like a really good idea to um, have a fundraiser and a big buck contest or event and have them work together where the hunters um, would donate a minimum $25. That enters you into the contest where um, you can go out to your buck, have it scored, enter it to win a fantastic uh, shoulder mount from Ray Weens. Yeah, nice. Now, do uh, so how does it work with the score? Do we score it ourselves and send in the score? It just works in the honor system? or, or... Uh, We we discussed the honor system. Um, we discussed a lot of honor systems. I think um, since uh, the Forest Service Road Cleanup Challenge, uh, we noticed that people were willing to cheat at that. Yeah, you were mentioning which, that. That's um, awful. Which is a little bit surprising to us. Yeah, um, and disappointing, I imagine. It is disappointing um, that... Uh, people would want to, you know, try and cheat on something that's such a good idea. So that being said, we will not have the scoring on the honor system. It will have to be officially scored. Have that score sheet submitted to us, a photo of your animal taken with your 2020 cancel tag as well. That way we don't see anybody um, attempting to substitute a, a deer shot from another year um, yeah. in hopes of getting a, a great mount. So where does a guy go get us? Go get his antlers scored. Um, now, there are official scores throughout the province. And um, if you do not know one in your area, just contact us and we will locate the closest official scorer to you. Um, there are official scores that um, are for Boone and Crockett and some that are just for the BC record book. So um, making sure that uh, when you are ready to have your animal scored, we'll make sure that we connect you with the nearest scorer to you. Right, and right on. So yeah, and there's some focus stuff in there too that you're giving away. Yeah, some great focus gift certificate for $150 Very and nice. um, and a bit of swag as well. So, cool. how long is the draw going for? Like when is the when's the cutoff date for okay. the draw? Where's the um, end of it? Okay, the the contest. Um, um, we just had a date change, so um, people can do their donations for $25 or more until November 30th, the end of the. Big Buck Contest deadline is December 10th. Now, we extended the date for exposure, publicity, and to raise as much funds as we can for the robotic program. We're really hoping that hunters will just get on board, do their donation, and go and hunt like they would normally. Yeah. Um, you know, the the winner could come from anywhere in the province, which is kind of the interesting part. And it could yeah. come out, it could come any day. You could go out tomorrow or you could go um, December 10th, last day of the season. And that's the beauty of it is, is yeah. anybody can come out a winner. And I think if we're lucky, the conservation officer service and the robotic program is going to be the biggest winner. Gotcha. So the contest date, the end of it is December 10th or you have to have them scores yeah, by december 15th i'm sorry if i said december 10th yeah well yeah you did i don't have the poster in front no, of me no that's so. fine so contest december 10th and then um entry submitted by yep. december 15th a winner to be announced on december 20th okay right on yeah so well somebody that's will, fun. somebody will have a nice shoulder mount and uh focus yeah. gift certificate for christmas that's great I can imagine the maintenance on those decoys must be extremely expensive i did uh, i talked to two um, veteran conservation officers before we decided to do this um one from penticton and one from creston and he says yeah the um the decoys take a lot of damage a lot of bullet damage yeah so, that's amazing i've um, never seen one myself so i never have either i think uh you know they 
are able to identify a spot that's um, been having trouble with poaching. Right. Whether it's private land or whether it's a, a haul road or a power line or somewhere that, that they're seeing repeat right. issues. And uh, they set up there in an attempt to catch the people doing it. Um, the CEO in Creston also said he's never caught the same person twice. Oh, so, really? Um, I'm hoping the program is effective enough and the penalties are high enough that somebody wouldn't think to do it again either that or they got a little smarter um, yeah wow so are the ceos actually physically there what, they're like, not far away they're not um, far away so they're not just throwing the decoy out in the middle of a field and leaving it there. they're actually setting it up hiding back maybe 500 yards definitely a bit of detective work involved yeah like, i wish i knew more um they're not going to tell everybody their secrets no. and i don't really need to know it no um captures my imagination yeah um, especially when i think of some some guy uh you know out panning his headlights in a field looking for an easy one and <laughs> uh and you know sees a sees one of the decoys standing there yeah i love to see the look on their face when uh when the blue and whites come where the blue and reds come up and yeah and, uh, I, I wouldn't even know how i wouldn't even know how to go about shooting in the, i've never even shot i've never <laughs> even pulled my rifle out in the dark and tried to look through the scope so i wouldn't even know where to get started but i have taken up uh, about an hour of your time here and i know you're a busy man again i want to thank you very much for for stopping in today thank you kevin you, and thanks for all you're doing for us as well um it doesn't go unnoticed well i appreciate that it's all just trying to do my part and you know if we can get more guys out there doing a little bit if everybody does a little bit then it turns out to be a lot it does yeah a little bit from everybody and we'll climb mountains yeah absolutely so if you guys aren't already a member of uh, hunters for bc uh, i strongly urge you to do so you can visit them at their website it is bcinteriorsci.ca or you could even go to the focus hunting webpage. Uh, we have a link to your guys' site there where they can click on and before we let you guys go today i want to take a moment and express our deepest condolences to dave Ryder. dave is one of the administrators with hunters for bc Dave's son, Mike, recently lost his life in an unfortunate motorcycle accident. So to Dave and his family, our hearts and prayers are with you. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.